If you like music and history, come check out Sounds of Time. You'll learn the history behind genres of music, like the early reggae style that gave black Britons their own voice, the psychedelic movement in Brazil that led to the artist's political exile, or stories like the one about the assassination of a young Sinaloan who wrote folk ballads on commission for narcos, or how a nightclub in Chicago that served as a sanctuary for gay blacks and Latinos birthed one of the most iconic music genres in the world. If you're interested in the history of music and how it's all interconnected, visit soundsoftimepodcast.com or listen to Sounds of Time wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. So what's going on there? Uh, work. <laughs> so I, I came back to work about two weeks ago, and I think I said on the last podcast, it, it feels good. It, it's like a, a nice sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's going on with you? Nothing. I'm just getting ready for a vacation from the craziness. Are you driving where you're going, or are you flying? Oh, no, driving. Okay. Um, it'll be about nine hours, though, so it's Ooh. significant, but it's the ocean, so I'm going. Uh, it's worth it, but I know you and car sickness, so I know there's going to be a lot of puking. I mean, even your dogs get car sick. <laughs> my dogs do, and my daughter, so we'll see. The dogs are not coming, though. All right, well, so we've got an interesting case this week that kind of has a story after the story. And after um, that story, actually. Another story. <laughs> We're going to get into it. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing names here. Allison always finds the cases with the hardest names. <laughs> That's right. Just to drive me fucking crazy. We are going to talk about the Rukai family. Toma Rukai was 16 when he fled Albania in 1951, and he was escaping communism. He went to Yugoslavia, and he married Lena, and then moved to Italy. In 1968, Toma and Lena moved to the Bronx and had a son, oh boy, Gilash. Gilash. I don't know. He also goes by Joe, so we're going to call him Joe. And in Albanian culture, there are arranged marriages, and Joe was arranged to marry Katrina. He married Katrina, and they had four children. They lived in Greenberg, New York, and Joe was a self-employed real estate investor. Rigoletta was to marry Antonio, Joe's cousin. Rigoletta married Antonio Nick, and she lived with her husband and her mother and father-in-law in their Chappaqua mansion. Right. So just pay attention to all the names. On April 11th, 1990, Joe is now 30 years old, and he bought a lotto ticket, and it was for one of the biggest jackpots in New York, and he ended up winning $17.5 million. Oh, my God. In Albanian culture, though, your wealth is your social standing. So he went from a very low social standing to being on top of the game in this area. Right. It would be nice. Shortly after he won the lottery, Joe and Rigoletta started an affair. 
Now, I'm not sure. So if you look back, they knew each other before they both got married, but because they were arranged to marry other people, they couldn't do anything about it. So I think there was some attraction there to start. So a few months into the affair, she ends up becoming pregnant, which happens. They, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So because she's married to Antonio and having an affair with Joe, we don't really know who the father is. They agree to do a paternity test while the child is, you know, in utero. When you say they agreed to do a paternity test, who's they? I mean, Joe and Rigoletta. Okay. They go do a paternity test to see if Joe's the father. And obviously, if he's not, then it's Antonio. I hope. Maybe. (laughs) You are not the father. So the test does confirm that this unborn child is Joe's. And because of the strict Albanian code, the Kanun, the shame of the affair could really lead to the death of Joe and very huge family problems. They agree never, never to tell anyone about this because her father-in-law followed this code very strictly. Mara, tell us about the code because I don't think it's something normal. It's not, but in the Albanian culture, it is. So quickly, uh, the Kanun is a set of traditional old world Albanian laws that really focus on retaliation and revenge. And I I don't want to get too into it because it'll read like a history lesson, but most modern Albanians do not follow this code anymore. And the one thing I did think of when researching this case was, of course, a documentary that I saw um, inside the world's toughest prisons. And that's a three-season television documentary. One of the episodes I was watching, it was in Romania, and it was called Gypsy Prison. But what they talk about in certain cultures is revenge and one of these guys was in prison for murdering someone and it was a revenge type of thing and Mm -hmm. he just as as horrible as it was to be away from his family he said that that's just the way it is there's really no remorse because it's embedded in their culture this concept of revenge and retaliation right so i just wanted to comment on that because it did remind me of that documentary Almost everything reminds me of a documentary I saw. Or a movie. (laughs) Or a song. Mm Mm-hmm. So back to Joe and Rigoletta. The baby is born, and her name is Magdalena. Antonio, Rigoletta's husband, thinks it's his child, and he just acts as Magdalena's father. Mm. What I find crazy is that Joe and Rigoletta, they continue this affair for about four more years. Mm. this whole time he sees his daughter a little bit but he has to watch this other man act like the father to his child and there's family pride in your offspring in that culture as well yeah so he really wants credit for this beautiful girl and he is not getting that and i suspect he's getting angrier and angrier and the situation is getting more tense. I don't know that Antonio is not aware that maybe something's going on and maybe this child is not his because Rigoletta is also feeding Joe some information that Antonio kind of treats her a little harsher than he treats their other child. Hmm. Bottom line is Joe's her father and he wants to be a part of her life. 
and he wants her to know that he's her father and he has all this money. He could set up a trust for her like he could take care of her and he wants to be able to do that. Yeah. Rigoletta is totally against this because it would cause a really big problem in the family as we had talked about with that that code. I mean, and I and never mind the code. Take the code away and the culture away. It's still going to cause a big problem. Joe insists on changing the way things have been going and he wants to be a part of Magdalena's life. They're fighting obviously about this and the affair's going to sour and it ends. But Joe really wants everyone to know. So in 1996, he files a paternity suit. Mm. And Rigoletta is denying the affair. She wants to keep the shame from the family. And really, she doesn't want any responsibility. So things are getting very, very tense for everyone. I would think so. So on September 11th, 1996, Rigoletta went to the police to get an order of protection from Joe for harassing phone calls but court was closed. Joe called Rigoletta and told her that he was coming to see his daughter, and Rigoletta dared him to, and even taunted him by telling him to come if he was man enough. And Rigoletta said, come and get the girl. Come. You know the address. If you're man enough, come and get her. And Joe said, why should we have a confrontation for nothing? At about 7.59 p.m., Joe arrived at Rigoletta's home in Chappaqua. Knowing the code and what he could possibly be walking into, he brought a gun. Rigoletta comes out of the house with her own gun. We know who shot first because we know that Rigoletta had the gun. Right. And she was she was shot in the head with Joe's gun. Joe was hit with a bullet, so she had to have fired, obviously, before she was hit in the head. So she shot him first. She gets shot twice. He's shot once. Then her father-in-law, 58-year-old Mark Nick, comes out of the house when he realized what was happening, and he went to go back in the house. Joe shot him three times. Nick. <laughs> 31-year-old Rigoletta was shot once in the head behind the ear and once in the chest, and she was laying in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Inside the house was Antonio... Rigoletta's husband, and her two children, ages nine and five, and Magdalena's the five-year-old. Right, yes. After the shooting, and this is kind of sketchy, Antonio took the gun Rigoletta had used to shoot Joe, so he took it from next to her body, and he hid it in a ceiling tile in the family room of his house. And he lied to the police at first and said that they did not have a gun, and then, like, a day or two later, he showed them the gun. Well, eventually they're going to find out. I mean, he got shot. Where the heck did he get shot from? (laughs) Right. Well, an autopsy report for Rigoletta Nick indicated that she was two to three months pregnant. I'm assuming that it is Antonio's baby because the affair had stopped. But I'm sure that we don't know, right? We don't know. I don't know. I didn't see it anywhere. After fleeing the scene, Joe went to the police station to report the shooting. He had a gunshot wound to the abdomen, or I've seen it reported as his chest. He was claiming self-defense, and he said, they shot me, and I shot them. When asked who shot him, he said, the woman. On December 2nd, he was indicted on first-degree murder for both killings and was held on $3 million bail, which he probably could afford. (laughs) Yeah. 
At the trial, the district attorney said in his opening statement, this case is not about self-defense. This case is about a parent protecting her five-year-old daughter from a man who made it clear he wanted to take her daughter. So the defense in their self-defense argument said that Rigoletta was trying to rid her family of the shame of the affair. And according to that Albanian code that we mentioned before, she had to do this since she brought the disgrace on the family. She was the one that had to shoot and kill Joe to rid them of the disgrace. Wait a minute. Stop right there. Mm -hmm. That's his self-defense argument. Right. So... That was his excuse for why she wanted to kill him. That's him showing that she was the instigator of this. Okay. And, and that he had to defend himself. So she's goading him to come to the house so that she can now be justified in shooting him to protect her daughter. Yeah, and she can't deny this because she's dead. I did wonder, though, if some crazy person was coming to my house to kidnap my kids, I'm pretty sure my husband would be the one to go outside with the gun and protect us. Right. I mean, he was inside the whole time. It makes sense to me that it was this code and she was the one who had to do it. Mm. So his self-defense kind of makes sense to me. Well, after four days of deliberations and over 25 hours on March 20th, 1998, Joe was found guilty for the second degree murder of Mark Nick, which is the father-in-law, right. but not guilty in the death of Rigoletta. So the reason for that ruling was partly because it was proven that Rigoletta had fired the first shot. So on June 3rd, 1998, he was sentenced to 20 years to life. And while in prison, he was convicted of second-degree assault because he hit a corrections officer in the neck with his cane. He was eligible for parole in 2016, I'm guessing he got denied, but at his 2020 parole hearing, he was granted parole and is now out of prison. The dark cloud over the Rukai family does not end there, unfortunately. Pat Rukai was 17 years old, and he was one of Joe's kids. And he was at a party in April of 2002. School was canceled that day because of a power outage, so all the kids went to their friend's house, and it became a party, and there was some drinking. Underage drinking. While at the party that it had become... The parents, by the way, are not there at this party. At the house. While at the party, Pat and another boy, Rob Viscombe, who was also 17, they were having like a minor disagreement. You know, they're probably a little drinking a little bit and having a fight. Uh, but at one point, Rob made some sort of disparaging comment about Joe, Pat's dad, and, you know, him being a murderer. And then he just started to walk away from Pat. Now, I know you have a little different... In response to this, Pat punched Rob. I have in the back of the head, you have in the jaw. Either way, Rob fell headfirst onto a concrete patio. Yes. Instead of calling 911 right away, the kids at the party panicked, and they're trying to clean up evidence that they were drinking. One of them went and dumped a bunch of beer cans somewhere, and they ended up waiting about 5 to 20 minutes before they took Rob to the hospital. And they didn't even call 911. They just drove him to the hospital and they only did it because he started having seizures. Well, he wound up in a coma and was taken to Westchester Medical Center. Ah. And he was in a coma. Yes. And he was placed on life support. Mm -hmm. um, Pat was arrested for the assault. Which was four years after his father was convicted. So Rob's family did end up having to make the choice to take him off life support. And he died five hours later. 
the judge sentenced him, but because of his age, the hearing was held in private and the sentence was not disclosed. But he did not do any prison time. He just ended up doing community service. And I know the family ended up suing, I think they said like 14 um, other teenagers that were there. I think they sued all of them. Mm -hmm. But I'm surprised that he did not get time in jail. I know. Pat is now an Albanian model who works under the name Patrick Rukai, spelled the same but ends with an I. Mm-hmm. And he's also dabbling in the New York City luxury real estate market as a broker. But he is quite lovely on the eyes. He is. I saw him. Yeah. He's gorgeous, but it doesn't. No, defend, I'm joking. You know. I know. Look I'm at kidding. It, it. But, you know, it's so strange to me. And you see it in the um, preppy killer case where if mm-hmm. somebody's good looking, people treat them differently. People in the media treat them differently. And they almost start developing a fan base. And, and even with Ted Bundy, I mean, you saw people were like in love with him. Yeah, I think they all, you know, there's many reasons that people fall in love with these guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I, I just, I always wonder, what did he do to correct the situation? I mean, I'm not oh, saying that know. he meant to kill him, right? But, but you did. But there's a story that um, I want to say, maybe a few months later, or maybe it was a year later, whatever. While he was still in high school, Pat was at another party. And two other kids got into, there was going to be a fight, two other boys, and he broke it up and was like, it's not worth it. So I I feel like maybe he was an okay kid who just made a terrible mistake. Yeah. And he got this second chance and seems to have stayed out of trouble as far as I could see. I know. And I know you were looking. (laughs) And I was looking because (laughs) this is eight years later now. So if he's... right. He's hopefully more mature. and But, you know, in these cases, and, and, and I know it's it's wonderful to be able to say that, and, you know, it's eight years later, but somebody is still dead and a family is still without somebody. So I feel like, okay, he can move on and, you know, get on with his life, and but this poor kid can't. And I from what I understand, they were, I think they were friendly. They played football together. and Yeah, I think, I don't think they were friends, but I think, there was never any problem between them. Right. I think they were acquaintances. It's just a stupid thing that happened at a party that had he not hit his head on concrete, it would have just been a fight and they would have mm-hmm. moved on from it. it right. Just exactly. Exactly. Terrible. But I have one more little thing. Um, and then I have no more information about these people. Antonio Rigoletta's widower was arrested in 2020 for, so just a few months ago, for tax evasion. He really? Apparently, yeah, he apparently used uh, $1.5 million from his family businesses to fund his lavish lifestyle, and he evaded almost 400000 in taxes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So. Well, there is another story about the judge. It had to do with the sale of, I believe, Rob. No, no, no. It was... Joe and Katrina's house, so Pat's family home. His mom, Katrina, used the judge 
as her real estate broker. They're saying that's why Pat didn't get a harder sentence because this judge was invested in the family and was a real estate broker as well and was selling the house for them. Right. And they said it was a conflict of interest. And the judge basically said, I don't believe there's a conflict of interest here. Seems a little strange that they would maintain a relationship, but. Uh, Yeah, a little strange, a lot strange to me. And I guess the judge was in real estate. Yeah, he was a judge moonlighting as a real estate broker. I mean, at that point, wouldn't you say "Mm, it's probably not a good idea if you're a judge? Sounds like a terrible idea. He said Katrina called him very distressed and she knew he was a real estate broker, so asked him to do it. So he did. Bad choice. Poor judgment. Poor Mm -hmm. judgment. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's pretty much all I had. I, I, I did get like confused in the end with the whole selling of the house thing. And, you know, you're you're a much better researcher, but um i was just like wait a minute wait a minute there's wait there's more yeah constantly yeah i mean i thought finding the little thing about pat and rob viscombe was and then it went on right i mean you see the articles (laughs) that are lined up and you start reading and you're like wait a minute what wait now what what now what and it's, it's just, you know, yeah, yeah. So, so is there anything that we would like to say to final thoughts to close out this case? Do you have any final thoughts? It's such a crazy thing to kind of relate to with the revenge and the whole thing. But I, I do think that what he was found guilty of was correct. I think. I yes. think he, it was self-defense with uh, Rigoletta and he probably should have retreated rather than shoot his father-in-law. And then I think his son, it was just a terrible, terrible thing happening. So I'm not totally opposed to him being free now. Right. And the only thing that I'm going to say is I'm a little puzzled about Rigoletta. Because she goes initially to to the courthouse, right? Mm -hmm. To get an order of protection from Joe for harassing Mm -hmm. calls. But then on the phone, she's taunting him. And she's saying, you know, come on, come on. You know the address. If you're man enough, come and get her. Well, Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say you're asking for it, but I just feel like if that was the situation, I probably would have called the police department right away. But it seems like with their culture and the families, it just seems like there's a lot of tension and revenge and anger and you know but he also did go there with a gun well if you know the culture and you know that you could possibly be a target here right i don't see why you wouldn't but i also found it hard that the affair was for almost five years and she maintained this double life for almost five years like if I was antonio i wouldn't even want to be married to her anymore like that's crazy yeah and and i'm shocked at that to be honest because I would think in that culture it's something that he would not tolerate there's this revenge and they're you know this these tough people you're gonna stand by while your wife has an affair for five years and I don't know it just I would like to hear a little bit more about Antonio 
maybe they're just not allowed. I don't know enough about Albanian culture. Maybe like the divorce is even worse than the shame of the affair. Maybe the shame of a divorce is even worse. So you can't get, I, I don't know. I just, I find it very hard to believe. And again, we don't know how much he knew and the timeline of what he knew and when, but I find it very hard to believe that, that he's just kind of standing in the background for five mm -hmm. years watching this shit unfold. It's puzzling to me. And then also why he's inside the house when she goes out to confront Joe. Well, like you would she's... think he would come running out. And then tries to protect her, even as she she died, even when he knows what she did. So, um, you know, by saying she didn't have a gun and he hid it in the right. ceiling tile. And and I find Antonio's behavior very strange and, from what I know, contradictory to what I would think the Albanian culture would be. And that's my final thought. All right, so we will be back next week, and uh, you want to sing us out? Nefarious New York. <laughs>